All right. Well, hey, good morning. I'm Mark. I want to welcome you as well, executive pastor here, uh, as we continue through this series talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Brad started this last week talking about love and just kind of big picture, you know, what this thing means, this, this fruit of the Spirit, which is, uh, you know, if you have a background in church and things, you probably heard that phrase. If that's, if that's kind of a new phrase, it is. And when you really think about it, like if I just caught me off the guard this morning, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and I've never heard that phrase before. It just seems kind of funny. But, uh, but hopefully we can kind of, through this series, get our minds and hearts around what this means and what these different attributes that are just characteristics and truths about who Jesus is, about who God is, and about these things that begin to be true in us when we're really following him, that, that these things begin to, to happen in us, begin to be a part of who, who we are, uh, the more closely we're connected with him and the more we give him you know, full reign and rule in our lives. All of a sudden, these, these things start to happen. And, uh, and to talk about that, I'm going to start in kind of maybe an unlikely place. I want to tell a, one of my favorite miracles from the Gospels is uh, the story of Lazarus. And so I just want to tell this story real quick to kind of set the stage for what we're going to talk about. Um, in that story in, in John chapter 11, Lazarus uh, in the village of Bethany, he, he's sick, and his sisters, Mary and Martha, send word to Jesus saying that the one you love is ill. And Jesus responds by saying, well, this, this sickness doesn't lead to death, but to the glory of God. And, uh, and so then um, it says, this is an interesting phrase or sentence. He says, says that he loves the three siblings and he found out that Lazarus is sick. And so he decides to wait a few days. Which I think is just interesting to me. Like, it, I, I love you so much. I'm just not going to come right now. I'm just going to hold back and wait a little bit. Those, those, that doesn't seem to work together. But in Jesus' world, it does. And so, but he does tell his disciples, hey, we're going to make our way over there. And when they learned about that, that he wanted to return to Judea, they were worried because they had just recently barely escaped their enemies there. And so, man, they, they don't really want to go back there again. And, uh, and Jesus calmed their worries, saying, our friend is asleep, and I'm going to go and wake him. And they're like, well, if he's napping, he's going to get up. Like, we don't really need to go over there. And he's like, no, no, really, really, he's, he, he's, he's dead. And then Thomas, he scoffs and says, yeah, and if we go, we, we're going to die too. So this isn't a great idea. But they end up going. And by the time they get there, Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days, Four days in a cave with a big rock rolled in front of it. Four days. And many from the surrounding areas had come to mourn with Mary and Martha. And the sisters, they run out to meet Jesus. And each of them individually says something similar to, Lord, if you had been here, our brother, he wouldn't have died. And uh, seeing their pain, it's that, that favorite memory verse everybody has. You know, Jesus wept. <laughs> seeing their pain. Jesus wept. He cried. And he asked, where have you laid him? And, uh, and then the people with him are like, well, he could have kept him from dying. But they take him to that place. And Jesus says, roll away the stone. And Martha replies, what you would expect. Hey, he's, he's been in there four days. That's going to be pretty stinky. You know, Although we, we might not want to do that. But they roll the stone away. And then uh, verse, chapter 11, verse 40, Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, 
you would see the glory of God. Look at that phrase for a second. Think about it. If you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they removed the stone, says Jesus prayed, and then he yelled, Lazarus, come out. Which I've heard this said, and I think it's kind of cool just to think about, like that, that he called out Lazarus specifically, because if he had just said, come out, like all the dead bodies would have started walking around, and that would have been problematic. So he, he said, Lazarus, come out. What would it would have been like to be there and hear Jesus yell? It says in a loud voice, he said, Lazarus, come out. And then to watch the dead man walk out of the tomb. Awesome. <laughs> right? Miraculous supernatural, amazing, all all the words that you can use. And it is. But, you know, I think we look around often around us, and there are miraculous, supernatural, amazing things happening all the time. And we miss it. This, This fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit, which means that it's that it's spiritual. It's not, it's not the things our flesh produce. It's the things that God's spirit produces, which means they're on the realm of, on, they cross that line of the natural, the normal, to the supernatural, the unnormal, the, the extraordinary. Love, joy, peace, all those things are, they're, they're the fruit of the spirit, not of our natural man and woman. And so like yesterday, I mean, it's, it's miraculous. I, I was talking to a friend, and I shared something really personal and vulnerable um, that, that I really struggle with being overprotective with my children. Uh, and I will share it with you now. Like that, that, that there's some, some reasons for that. There's some, uh, some parts of my personality. There's some, some trauma in my past. There's, there's some reasons why I've really always struggled with that. And at the same time, I know that it's one of the biggest issues facing our kids growing up is that, you know, in this generation, we, we, we try to take care of all of their things and make where they don't fall or scrape their knees. And so when they do, they don't know what to do because we scrape their knee. Oh, what are we going to do? Because I scrape my knee all the time. And my parents didn't even know what happened, you know, and I'm trying to protect everything. And that's, that's, pro- that's a problem. And so I'm sharing with him the struggle that I have. And what's crazy about that, what, what's supernatural about that? is that my, my personality by nature rejects being vulnerable. I, 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 don't want to, I don't want to share those things about me. In fact, the people that know me pretty well, and there's kind of a debate going uh, that you may have been a part of at some point, you know, that I believe in these personality tests where you, where you do. I mean, there's just some tendencies that each of us have and the way that we're made. And, and the more that I can understand what yours are and the more that you can understand what mine are, the more that we can, we can deal with one another and understand one another. And kind of even though I don't necessarily see it your way, I can, I can put myself in your shoes a little bit better. Well, there's a debate with me. Evidently, I'm personality test, uh, you know, confused. Because uh, the one that makes the most sense, that you read it and you're like, oh, that's got to be Mark. Uh, there's some problems because you're like, yes, 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 yes. And then it's like, no, 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 no. In fact, uh, one of my friends is like, man, you're the nicest. This, this personality type in this one uh, test is called an eight. And they're like, you're the nicest eight I've ever met. You can't be an eight because eights are like not nice. And you're like, nice. So you can't, you can't be an eight. And I don't know if I am or not. Uh, one of the descriptions of that personality type is 
that their deepest fear is being vulnerable and being uh, powerless. And they cope with this fear by always being strong and in control. And I, I would say, yeah, there's, there's that part that's true. And at this point in my life, my highest value is authenticity, <laughs> trying to be authentic with you, you try, asking you to be authentic with me and being vulnerable and like putting all the cards on the table. And maybe that's because by my nature, I'm, I'm against that at my core, you know? But for me to be that way, supernatural, m- miraculous. And, and, I, and I thought about this, like, you don't know me and I don't know you unredeemed. Now, maybe, maybe you do. Maybe you've got a friend in the room that you knew before Jesus ransacked their life and began to change them, you know, into who they are today. But you don't know me without Jesus. What is Mark like without Jesus? I don't want to know what Mark looks at without Jesus. I don't want to know the selfishness. I don't want to know the loneliness. One part of that personality type, if that is my personality type, is, is loneliness because that person stands alone. And one of my other big values is, man, I want to do life together with people. And so Jesus has done this thing that only he can do and, and created this whole new thing that, that in and of myself without his power and presence Man, this is who I am. And y'all, that's miraculous. When I look at your life and I see peace, peace is not normal. In a world as chaotic as we live in and the things that we got going, peace, joy, that's, that's not normal. It's just not normal. Um, Ephesians, Paul says something that to me is just the easiest way to get our mind around it. Kind of funny. But I think it's so simple, it's, it's almost, uh, <laughs> it almost feels like a joke. But he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse, verse 18, don't get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery. But, con- in the contrast, be filled with the Spirit. So he's saying that in the same way that, that a person gives themselves over to the influence of this substance... And then act silly. You know, it, you get arrested if you drive under the influence, altered by a substance. You've given yourself over to. Well, don't, don't do that. Instead, but in a similar way, give yourself over to Jesus and to his spirit. And give yourself over to, to his control and his influence. Let him alter you. And then when he alters you, the things that begin to happen are... This, this incredible list of his characteristics and attributes, which are just beautiful and, and supernatural. You know, maybe uh, this is maybe too simple, but I got some pictures I put together here. Don't blame the creative team. They didn't do this. Mark, Mark did this on his computer. So uh, this is you, you under the influence, and the you under Jesus's influence, all right? Just bottom level, you know, uh, bottom shelf kind of understanding here. So you got the you probably recognize the world's most interesting man there on the right, uh, the most ignorant man there in the middle, and then I actually searched up the, the most ordinary man, and this is the guy's picture. That, how would you feel if in Google you search up the most ordinary regular guy and your picture pops up? So if you look like that guy, I don't know, maybe they should tell you something. But anyway, the regular guy—that's just regular Joe. That's just, and then. Uh, under the influence of some substance, but then when we give ourselves over to Jesus, he does this transformative work in us. And, uh, you know, I thought about 
the times that I remember like being altered by something like Benadryl. I don't know if Benadryl affects you guys like this. Terry takes Benadryl like candy. I, she doesn't seem to bother her at all. But, but me, Benadryl has always just messed me up. It makes me really emotional. It makes me cry and get upset about things that I wouldn't normally get upset about. And I remember being a teenager on a fun trip with our youth group and we we're at the mall doing something fun and I'm just crying. And I can't stop. And people are like, what's wrong with you? I don't know. I don't know. Nothing happened. Did something happen? No, nothing happened. Something make you? No, nothing happened. Oh, and then I remembered, oh, it was the Benadryl. Benadryl makes me act like that. So I haven't taken Benadryl since that day because I know it affects me that way. Uh, I've never had my wisdom teeth removed, but, uh, but I've watched the videos of the people who have when they're on pain meds, and that's always fun. I kind of look forward to it. If it pops up on the field, like, oh, we got to watch that because that's always a good, a good show. And uh, I asked Brennan, my, my 16-year-old, if I could tell this story. He got his wisdom teeth removed too, not too long ago. And it was, just, it was just funny. In the car, he's talking about Iron Man, and he's like got the shield, and he's trying to defend himself off from things. And you know, I'm asking him, what are you defending? I don't know. Oh, Iron Man, I'm Iron Man. Well, then I get him back to the house, and he's really quiet. And I lay him out on the couch, and I'm in the kitchen, and, and he's on the couch, and I, you know, I just see the back of the couch. I can't really see Brennan laying there. And then on the, from the back of the couch, I see two fingers cup, come up on like the, the back of the, of the couch there. And he's like, do 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 And I waited, and he just kept on doing it and kept on doing it. So I kind of walked around the couch. Hey, buddy, you okay? Yeah, I'm great. And he kind of was in this high-pitched voice. Doo, 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 doo. So I said, well, what, what you got going there? And he said, oh, I'm Simone Biles. And he just kept on doing all these tricks. And y'all, he, he did that for a long while. <laughs> he, he, was, he was altered, you know? Which, again, that verse, I mean, we, we, there's a way of being altered where we give ourselves over to something. But in that same way, could we give ourselves over to Jesus? It makes me think about, I mean, I'm sorry if you've seen it. I've heard it uh, driving the car way too many times, the Trolls movie. You know, when there's Bridget that they're calling Idget, and she, uh, she, and she doesn't like who she is, and she's got this horrible setup, and then the Trolls show up, and she lets these little creatures crawl up on her head, and their hair becomes her hair, and then they're, they're like making her do things, and she gives herself over. Or the, the rat that cooks, I never can say the name of that movie correctly, but anyway, the cook that gives himself over to the rat who drives. I mean, we got lots of examples of it, but do we believe Jesus enough and realize enough that we are not strong enough on our own strength to produce any of this, that we would look to him and, and give him control and be altered by the king of kings <laughs> to live his life in us. I think that's what we're talking about in, in Galatians chapter 5. And I'll just read them for you again. Uh, the fruit of the spirit is, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, every time I read that list, I look at it and I go, man, yes, this, that's, that's what I want. I mean, that, that's what I want for me to experience in my life. That's what I want for you. 
I mean, that's, that's what, I, imagine a community that had those things. Are, not, are those not the things? That's the list. I mean, it, I'm sure you could add some things to it, but I don't know. It's pretty all included. That's a, that's a pretty incredible list. But I also look at it and I go, absolutely out of my reach without, without Jesus doing something. I mean, selfless love, not happiness, but joy. Peace has always seemed elusive to me. I've talked about that before here. And, and I've chosen today, Charlie, let me, let me pick uh, again. And of course, we're not going in order. Brad took love. I'm going to take uh, patience and, and faithfulness. Um, because I feel like those are two that, that seem to be also challenge me the most and be the most uh, elusive to me. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I've asked myself the question, why are they? Why is waiting my turn, being patient? Why is staying the course all the way to the end, being, being faithful? Why do those two things in particular seem, seem difficult? And, uh, and I was reading a book not long ago. Uh, a guy made a really good point, uh, illustration about a, he said, man, a lot of the strife that we have and a lot of the struggles that we have in these different areas have to do with our approach to life and really do, we really do walk into a room, walk into a situation, walk into a relationship, walk into our, our work setting. And there's this kind of imaginary lifeboat that, that we're all in, you know? And if somebody new enters, enters in or when you walk in, everybody is in a real subtle way. Now, we would never say it, but we are in a real subtle way, all fighting to prove our position in the lifeboat. Why do we deserve the lifeboat? If there's only so many seats in the lifeboat and somebody's going to get kicked out, it's not going to be me. It's going to be that, that guy. And this is why. So we try to bring that guy down or we try to lift ourselves up. Or, you know, we've got, we've got, we're always playing this game to try to nudge our way, not only to have a seat in the lifeboat, but to move up positions in the lifeboat and to have the most cush spot in the lifeboat. So there's always this battle that's going. So a lot of the things that war against these things is that fight that as believers in Jesus, we are completely free of. <laughs> there, there is no lifeboat. We're, we've already been set free and saved. He's given us life. There's, no, there's, there's significance I don't have to fight for. He's made me significant. I don't have to get significance from anybody else. But a lot of times, that's the fight. I noticed this the other day. I, we had some friends, and uh, I found out about a really cool thing that they were doing this summer. And it was something that I had wanted to do. And I w- it made me so sad that my first reaction was, was a little bit of envy and jealousy, you know? Instead of just being genuinely happy for a friend to have fun, the first thing that kind of hit my heart was blah, 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 <laughs> you know? You ever do that? I, know, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm confessing it in front of people. You, I mean, I, I've always thought this was funny the time that I realized that everybody wants the fancy car, and then the person that gets the fancy car, everybody d- makes fun of that they got the fancy car. Like, it, it doesn't make them cooler. It, it actually makes, you know, it's like there's always these, these things that we go for, and human nature is that we want to bring that person down. The person that goes up, we want to bring them down. We want to lift ourselves up, which wars against this fruit of the Spirit and what Jesus wants to do in our lives. So patience. What is the thing with patience? Well, first of all, just recognize that patience, this is, this is an attribute of our God. Uh, I could go a lot of places, but Second Peter talks about it. Second Peter uh, chapter 3. 
He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Now, just real quick, kind of side note with that. I, I think I've, I've heard that before and thought about, oh man, time rolls really, really fast for God. And I realized looking back at this, it actually says both things are true, right? Uh, it says one day is is a thousand years. That that's really slow. One day is is a thousand years. So really, what it's saying is, I mean, God is. You know, I mean, His understanding of time and is other other than ours. It's it's different. Um, but this this whole passage is about how patient that He is. A thousand years. One day is is a thousand years. And so, what are they talking about? Well, He's talking about it's a response to those questioning what seems to be the slowness of Jesus in his returning and judgment against sin and wickedness. And so he goes on to say this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, his, his return and, and judgment, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what is it saying about, about our God? He's like, man, he hates wickedness more than, than you do. I know you hate it a lot, that, that horrible thing that you saw on the news this morning. And God is, his justice is coming. His judgment is there. And why doesn't, why isn't it now? Why doesn't he drop the fire now? One thing we always have to recognize when we say that is the wickedness in us also. Is, but, no, but why doesn't he, what? I'm impatient. I want to see it happen. And then we realize the patience of God leaves the door open one more moment one more day for repentance, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's who our God is. The, the miraculous, the supernatural is this moment. The patience, we're, we're experiencing the patience of God this morning. And so that's who God is. Each day you look around and his patience is on display. So he is patient with us. And then he really wants to be patient in us and to shock the world with his patience in his children, which is, would y'all agree, is radical. I mean, practical. You walk into a restaurant and it's busy and you're not getting waited on in the, in the order or the speed that you expected and you show patience. I mean, it's a known fact that, that restaurants, some restaurants aren't even open on Sunday or that way, aren't even open on Sunday. And why, what they've said, the reason they're not open on Sunday is because church people are the worst. Sunday after church is the worst time to wait a table. What if, what if we were known as the patient people? <laughs> the attribute of God that is patient in us. And when I ask myself that question, I really think that it's our pride that wars against it. In fact, it says as much in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. It says, and this actually speaks to faithfulness and patience. It says, finishing is better than starting. Just the truth. You see things through to the end, which is really challenging to me because I, I love to start things and then I get distracted along the way. And, and it's just the truth. Finishing, seeing it all the way through is, is better than starting. And then look at that second part. Patience is better than pride. The thing that wars against our patience, or at least one of those things, is, is our pride who we think we are, where we should be in the lifeboat, what we deserve. 
Uh, one of my favorite movies, there's a line that it makes me laugh because it is so true and so sad. But these two guys, they're, uh, they're in an airport overseas, these two American guys, and uh, they walk up and there's this real long line and they just walk right up to the front and step into the front of the line. And then one of the guys looks back and goes, hey, it's all right, we're Americans, we're supposed to be at the front. Man. The sad thing is, if you've been in an international airport and you've watched Americans, that's true. It's like, it's like we, we think we deserve it. And so if we have to wait in that line, we ain't got patience for that. Because we deserve to be up there. We don't deserve to be back here. Our, our, uh, also, our, our expectations, like what we expect that we deserve, that we, we get. I've noticed this in my parenting, man. It, my patience, really, I don't know if you felt, my patience gets challenged. And a lot of times it's like, I deserve, and don't I deserve a few minutes of quiet? Don't I? Why you got to be yelling at me right now? Can't, I, I deserve this moment of peace, you know? I have 10 hours of chaos. Can I not have 10 minutes of peace? Or man, I'm expecting a, you know, a, a child to, to act like a grown-up or to do the things. I mean, put the put the toilet lid down. Is that, the, is that that hard, you know? But I, I, was, I was with my dad one day, and I was, I was complaining about some of these things, and I made a few statements about things that had happened with one of our kids and how frustrated I was, and I said, man, I'm glad I wasn't like that, and my dad got this funny smirk on his face. I was like, what? <laughs> you must not remember what you were like. And I realized that, that my expectations were, were off and that my view of myself was higher than, than my kids, than the people around me, and what I deserved. I mean, why would I be mad that the person in front of me takes a second longer at the, at the red light? It challenges, I deserve to go. And there's this attribute of Jesus that's, that's bigger and above that. So faithfulness. Lamentations uh, 22 and 23, which if there was any verse, verses that you were going to memorize, it's two verses, but it's really short. This, these would be the ones I would challenge you to memorize because this is just gold. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They never come to an end. You cannot find the end of the steadfast love of the Lord. His mercies never end. You're not going to find a day that you, that you get up and you're like, oh, my unfaithfulness or my problems or the things going on have, have hindered the love of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord. It, it's going to continue. He's not going to change. He's not going to leave his course. They are new every morning. Every morning, every time the sun comes up, our God is faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's the same. He loves us. He's showing mercy. He's patient. And then he just yells out, great, great is your faithfulness, God. I don't, uh, I don't lose sleep worried he will decide to go another direction tomorrow. And in the same way with patience, his attribute is faithfulness. That's who he is, and he wants to be faithful in us. But we war against this, this faithfulness. And I wonder, you know, thinking about faithfulness, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 Paul's explaining his ministry and uh, how the Corinthians should view what he does. And he says this, uh, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it requires steward, uh, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And I got to thinking about that, you know, um, 
Maybe, maybe that's part of it. He's not driven for fame or for self-preservation. Or, um, he's a steward. He's not trying to find the, the path of ease. He's been given responsibility for something. And that responsibility keeps him on the path of, of following out to another and being, being right with that. Because I, I feel like a lot of times my, my lack of faithfulness is that I start down a path and then it's kind of hard. <laughs> and then I run into some struggles and that hill looks pretty tall and this path looks a whole lot easier. <laughs> and so I start to, to fold over to the, to the path of, of ease. And the thing about being faithful is that, you, yeah, life is hard and we go through the hard stuff. But if the point is my comfort, then yeah. I should stop doing this because this is hard. I should do that because that's easy. But if, the, but if the point is I'm a steward of this relationship, this responsibility, this blessing that God has given me, then I, I need to stay faithful to what he's called me to, especially when it's hard, even more when it's hard. But again, where's that power going to come from? Not going not to come from this. It's, it's, it's going to be him because we know a faithful man or woman is almost impossible to find. You find one, man, hold on to him tight because that's rare. One that's faithful because it's a God thing. You know, another, uh, another miracle from the Gospels, Matthew chapter 14, it says that, you know, sometime between six and, I mean, three and 6 a.m., the disciples were four miles from shore out in the middle of a stormy sea. And Jesus comes walking out to them on the water. And at first they were afraid because they thought that he, that he might be a ghost. And he spoke to them and he calmed their fears. And then Peter says, Jesus, if, it, if it's you, call me out of the boat and uh, call me to you. And so he does. He invites him. And Peter walks on the waves. He walks on the water looking at Jesus. But then it says, for the fear of the storm... He, he loses sight of Jesus and he begins to seek. And Jesus saves him and then they get back into the boat and it says that, the, that then the, the, the waves stop and the, the sea goes still. Y'all walking on water. I mean, that is pretty awesome, you know? Man, I sense patience in you this afternoon. Miraculous. And in the same way that, that Peter looks to Jesus and he's above the mess and the chaos and the storm. But when he begins to look down at the chaos and the storm and lose sight, loses sight of full trust in Jesus, he begins to sink. I mean, I think us, me, living above the mess and displaying the fruit of his spirit in me is going to require me looking at him living above the mess, above the chaos, what would it look like to shock the world with the patience and the faithfulness of God? What would that look like? What would that look like at, at your workplace to be the one in the room that's, that's faithful, to be the one in the room that's patient when it doesn't, to be, to be the one in the room that's in peace when everybody else is anxious? You know, there's only way, one way that that happens, and it's if he does it in us. There's no way around it. There's no shortcut. There's no self-help book that you can read. There's no, there's no other option. 
Because it's just not possible. This, this fruit, it's the Spirit's fruit. So it's going to have to be Him doing it in us. So we're going to take a few minutes here and, and sing together. In the back of the room, there's some, some places that you can pray, take communion. Maybe at your seat, I'm just going to challenge you. What, when we went through that list, what is the, the fruit? What, what is the love, joy, peace? Which one of those immediately does your heart go, man, that's the one that, that God wants to do a, a work in me in? That's the one. And pray, God, would you do that? In spite of me, would you be patient in me? And watch what he does. I dare you. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Father, I am, I am well aware this morning that that is it. That is it. We, we don't have another option. There's not a plan B. Um, as highly as we think of ourselves, we can't, we can't pull that off. We just can't. We can't. And so the first step is just recognizing that. And then <laughs> being in that dependent uh, place, we look to you and ask you, Father, would you, would you let this fruit just uh, overflow in our lives, in our homes, in our relationships? Would you, would you through this series teach us what each one of these things looks like? And when we walk out of here on Sundays, not look at that and go, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm so not, I'm so impatient and but we would look at that and go, yeah, I am, but, but Jesus can make me patient. Jesus can bring me to a place of peace. He's powerful enough, and I just need to look to him and believe him. Let that be true to your, to your glory, Father. Amen.